Welcome to episode 98 of the Gunpreneurs Podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law, special guest Josh Dudley joining us tonight. Um, former guest of the show, but it has been a while. He's been been asking me to come on for a couple of weeks now. And I said, after Kentucky, it's all yours. So um, it's always good to get another voice on here. Um, we, we love having guests on because it just gives you a different opinion. You know, like, like we said before, whenever we've had Landon on, you hear me, J-Lo, and Lester talk every single week and I can kind of get monotonous, so to speak. So we love bringing another guy on to see if he kind of agrees with our opinions or if he has different ones, which we love even more. Um, So Alabama, the tides rolling, they go on the road to an sec team who is six and three, Um, no slouch, but you know, Kentucky, not really known to be a football school. Mark Stoops always has done, has done well over there. I guess he's technically the winningest coach in their program now, but um, Alabama takes care of business, forty-nine to twenty-one. I think it was like twenty-one to nothing in like the first eight or nine minutes of the ball game. Alabama gets a fumble. Caleb Downs takes it down to the one-yard line, and uh, Milrose sneaks it in. Just and Alabama clicking on all cylinders. J Law, how about this? An opening drive touchdown for Tommy Reese, first time since Middle Tennessee State, Week One. Talk about the first drive and how beautiful that was. Let's start there. Yeah, first of all, I wanted to shout out Valley Fence Co., sponsor of this week's episode. It's only $1,000 per episode to sponsor, so we appreciate that. Um, it's going to be a great episode. Um, listen, now, we've been begging for something on offense to, to go right on the first drive of the game, and finally it did. I mean, the, it wasn't vanilla play calling. There was no dive on the opening drive right behind the right guard. It felt like Tommy Reese got some leeway, which we learned in one of the sideline reports of the game, to kind of do more stuff over the last couple weeks. And even though we didn't have a first drive touchdown since Middle Tennessee, I think we got a second one or so uh, in a few – well, I know we did last week. So uh, things have been really been coming together for the offense. But how big is that, man? You you get the football first, you go down score, you put so much pressure on Kentucky's offense because at that point, man – the tempo has been set. Kentucky, a team that doesn't score a lot of points, thinks, oh, God, dude, we might have to score in the 30s to win this ball game. And that completely changes what they do, man. The defense can feast a little bit. They can take some chances with the lead. And it felt good for once this year to, kind of, to be playing with a couple touchdown lead early in a ball game and kind of seeing how that goes. And we almost let them back in it. But I give it – man, hats off Tommy Reese. Quarterback runs. Um, more just – ball out of the hand quick of Milrow, not three to four seconds in the pocket. How about Milrow stepping up in the pocket, evading a sack, getting better in the pocket? This feels like a lot of things coming together right now, and I think Tommy Reese being allowed by Saban to change the playbook because the sideline reporter the other day, whatever her name was, said that Coach Saban told her that 90% of the stuff that we're running right now probably wasn't in our playbook over the first five or six ball games, which doesn't make any sense if Jalen Milrow was going to be your quarterback. Like, we didn't really have a plan, which kind of makes us look stupid. But it's working. It feels good. And it makes Jalen Milrow a legitimate threat, a legitimate quarterback now, as opposed to a guy who's not being put out there to do what he what he can do. So, hats off Tommy Reese, man. I was excited about it. Yeah, you know, Milrow, we, we talked about this tons of times this season. He, he's – he, he can't sit in the pocket and beat good defenses with his arm. He can't throw consistently to all levels of the field. 
from the pocket. If you want him to be a successful quarterback, you're going to have to run him. You're going to have to coach him to run in passing situations. Um, and if it doesn't work, run it again. Don't abandon it. I think Tommy Reese is going to really a really good job with that. First quarter, Lester Milrow kind of got nicked up. See him hobbling around a little bit. And Reese in the second quarter, which is Alabama's worst quarter offensively by far, Reese in the second quarter kind of goes back to the old, you know, I'm going to hand it off and uh, I'm just going to run the dive. I'm not going to run my quarterback. I'm going to try to get the ball out of Milrow's hands. And, you know, it led to an interception. It led to a couple of three and outs. So, Lester – how if you're Tommy Reese, how do you manage this? Is my is my question because I think Alabama has a serviceable backup in Ty Simpson. He definitely I think he improved in this game. He got an opportunity to lead a drive. Um, and so I think he has a bright future, whether it's at Alabama, that remains to be seen. But if you're Tommy Reese and you have Jalen Milrow and the success he's had with his legs, do you kind of have to pull back the reins a little bit with your play calling and your coaching? Um, or do you just have to go all in and say, man, look, this is what makes us, this is what makes us flow the best. This is what we have to do. If he gets hurt, that's just bad luck. How do you kind of approach that? Yeah. I'm glad that you um, brought that up, asking that question. Cause last week on the pod, when talking about um, the game against Kentucky, I said, Jalen Milrose didn't have to run any, at all to beat this Kentucky team. I don't feel like they were really a threat to to beat Alabama as long as they came out and had the same offensive intensity that they did against LSU. Um, love to see that they carried over that same intensity and creativity to this game against Kentucky, but I do not think they need to risk Jalen Miller's health um, further uh, or as much as they did in this game to beat Kentucky. Uh, as you can see, like, you know, the game is the game. Uh, football is football, and he's going to get nicked up. He's going to get hit. Well, he's not – may not necessarily get nicked up, but he's going to get hit. And getting injured and nicked up, that's certainly part of it. But I, I I was not enthused when I saw him taking off and running as much as he did um, on that first drive. Now against, let's say, you know, Chattanooga. Um, Zero. None. Zero. 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 Don't, don't play don't, him. Don't play him. Yeah. You know, I thought that this game, like this game, like the Kentucky game and the Chattanooga game, I was always thinking that work on the passing game because, you know, if you're thinking forward, if you if you want to, you know, prepare for a possible, you know, matchup with Georgia does down the road in the SC Championship, uh, a possible playoff game or a big bowl game, you're going to have to pass the ball because see now Miro running is on film. Great teams, great defense like Georgia, they're not necessarily afraid of him running. Hell, they may let him do it in certain instances, but you have to have a solid passing game when it comes to be able to truly punish teams when need be. You know what I mean? So I was hoping this Kentucky game, you know, Chattanooga game, let's get some numbers, some good reps from passing, you know, one, two, three, four, boom, get the ball out, throw it out of bounds, you know, little simple things like that. Um, so, but, you know, what happened happened. He's a little banged up. I guess it was a hip stinger, hip pointer, whatever it is. There's nothing that's lingering. Well, nothing that'll be, you know, unhealthy in the next couple of weeks against, you know, Auburn and Georgia and on down the road. But hopefully he'll get healed up. 
But, you know, it is what it is now. And certainly this could have been a game where the Ty Simpson could have got some reps in, you know, in case of, you know, worst case scenario. But, um, yeah, uh, what happened happened. But, yeah, his legs will continue to be a threat in the future. I didn't mind. Uh, I actually he ran it eight times against Kentucky. He ran it sixteen against LSU. My favorite number is around twelve. I think if he has twelve rushes for seventy plus yards, I think that means that he's staying out of sacks. And like like I said, they don't all have to be quarterback design runs. You know, he can have it can be six and six. That's fine with me. That just means that he's staying out of sacks and uh, he's staying ahead of the chains, or you know, put, and putting us in, in positions to to have your your third and shorts, third and mediums like we talked about last week. I thought that once he got hit against Kentucky, and then I think there was a, a quarterback designed run where he took like a five or six-yard loss, and Reese kind of abandoned it for a while until like midway through the third quarter. I didn't like that. because And it might have been because he was nicked up, he just, and we thought that we could just punish their defensive line and their lack of depth because I really thought in the third and fourth quarter we just kind of – just overpowered him there in the in the trenches and in the interior of the offensive line. And um so if that was the case, okay. But I do want to make sure that just because it doesn't work once, that doesn't mean you abandon the design quarterback runs because like we talked about the last what 10 quarters is the best we've seen from an Alabama offense in years, it seems like. And um, you know, firing on all cylinders whenever the quarterback's running the ball. The deep ball is open. We talked last week. Which one are you going to cover? You're going to cover the deep ball, which is his best um, – is is where he throws the ball the best down the field. And you're going to cover the quarterback run. You're going to cover the scramble. Which one are you going to do? And now he's learning how to check the ball down. He's just taking coaching, which kind of leads into my question for you, Dudley. You get more of a developmental question um, regarding the whole year um, instead of just about Kentucky because we want other opinions on this. A lot of these Jalen Milrow fans, you know, they claim we've been fans from day one. I understand that's great. But this was not a very good quarterback the first four or five weeks of the season. I think maybe Texas A&M is really kind of where he kind of took it to the next level in week six, I believe. Um, But this was not a good quarterback in the early third of the season. So a lot of people are just talking about Milrow, Milrow, Milrow. Then there's some people that are talking about Reese, Reese, Reese. There's some people like me who thinks it was a very good mix of the two. I think it was a tremendous job by Reese of developing the play the playbook around Milrow's legs and then coaching Milrow, but also Milrow taking the coaching and applying it to the game, whether it's not holding the ball for five, six seconds in the pocket, not um, just scrambling to the right every time. Uh, using his legs in the in the passing game, throwing the ball away, not trying to throw the ball 50 yards downfield every single time, multiple things that have been fixed with Jalen Milrow over the course of the season. How do you think of that? Do you think it's more Milrow? Do you think it's more Reese? Or do you think it's a good combination of the two that's gotten Alabama, you know, clicking on – firing on all cylinders on offense over the last 10 quarters? Uh, I agree with you. Uh, I think it's a mix between the two. I think um, it just took a little time for Reese to get adjusted, get comfortable like with the team, with the flow of the game, um, SEC play, you know, play, playing these kind of teams. Um, his strategy, I guess, or game plan or whatever, 
I think has adjusted and changed a lot. But I think also at the same time, like you said, I mean, Jalen Milrose just getting more and more comfortable every single game. And they finally opened up the playbook a little bit, you know, as far as allowing him to use his legs, which I think, you know, you're talking about Jalen Miller from day one. I Ever since this summer, everybody's been talking about who's, you know, who's the quarterback going to be. And I legitimately thought it was going to be Jalen Miller, no question. Um, and so I've stood behind him, you know, the, or I guess this whole time, I just knew, like, you know, the guy can run a 4-4, he has to use his legs to be successful. He's not going to be a Bryce Young. The QB expectations, you know, are a little high, in my opinion, based off of, like, what we've been fortunate enough to have. Um, but, I mean, I knew, you know, as far as if he can get his legs going, he's going to at least be really dangerous. Um, and so, I mean, that's my take on it. I just, you know, as far as I, I think it's a mixture of both for sure. Um, but I think it was, you know, ultimately what it came down to was they were trying – it seemed like at the beginning of the season they were trying to make Jalen Milrow fit into a game plan or a strategy, and now it seems like they're trying to take a game plan and a strategy, and not just around Milrow, but it also seems like they're, you know, putting it around all of their skill players as well. Um, and so, you know, we're not – you know, as far as, yeah, we're, we're running the ball – Oh, uh, you talked about running the ball in the second quarter after Jalen Milrow got hurt. Well, now we're not just like solely relying on, you know, the run in the pass. You know, we'll open it up to Milrow. You know, we'll then we'll, you know, hit you in the flats, which I hadn't seen in quite a few games. You know, now we're spreading the ball out. We're moving it east and west, you know, versus just trying to move it north and south. So that's my take on it. Dudley, I'll stay right here because with that answer, it's going right into the question that I told y'all I was going to ask. And I said, y'all have an answer prepared. I'm asking all three of y'all. And I have an idea of what I want to say, but I'm going to get all three takes. And, you know, they might be all the same. If it is, I, I, it, it is what it is. But all everybody listening, I promise I have not heard the answers from these guys, except maybe Lester is giving a hint of what he thinks. But this is my question. And honestly, I think it's a fair question to ask. I don't, I don't think I'm overstepping any boundaries here. Dudley, deep down in your heart, <laughs> what is your opinion of why the offense sputtered out of the gate and the biggest assets of the offense were not utilized until the latter third of the season? And I'm not just talking about Milrow and his feet and all the things that, that I mentioned earlier. Talking about Kendrick Law on the edges with the pop pass. Talking about Jam Miller finally getting reps. Receivers are in the backfield. Creative motions, creative plays. It seemed like for two-thirds of the season, Alabama was about as vanilla as you can get offensively. Milrow seemed like he was a statue back there. They didn't want him to leave the pocket. Or either he wasn't on his own, he wasn't being coached out of it. It seemed like 70-75% of our runs were in between the tackles. The motions were mostly tight ends and uh, oops at the H-back. You, you know, it's it's no secret the offense the last two and a half games has looked drastically different. What was the reason, in your most honest opinion, for, for the slow start with all of this talent when you had all spring, all summer, and all fall camp? And it's not like Alabama's had a major injury. Um, you know, they've had they've been relatively relatively healthy. I think their biggest injury was Darian Dalcourt, and that actually helped them out. Um, so, what what is your honest opinion for the slow start with all of this talent, and why is it why did it not get utilized until week eight of the season against Tennessee? Um, so 
I'm a, this is going to be a little bit of a long answer, but this is honestly like my whole theory behind it. Bring it on. As far Bring as 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 far as the uh you know the past two games, um the offensive line I know is the offensive line is still not great. They're not perfect. They've been playing a lot better. Um, our skill guys seem like they're just playing with a lot more confidence. I mean, I know Burton was out this past week, but over the past two, three weeks, I think, you know, he seems like he's just playing with the ultimate level of confidence that you can have as a receiver. And that's what we were used to seeing out of guys like Ruggs, uh, Judy, uh, Ridley, you know, those guys. We were, you know, used to seeing like a level of confidence. And I don't think we've seen that from a receiver in two years, um, you know, that display of, uh, confidence he's given us but um my long answer going into it is I think uh ultimately like what it comes down to is Alabama has transformed into a bit of like a QB identity team so like when Hertz was in school I don't think Hertz was um you know a guy that was gonna like he was not our saving grace yet but you know everybody kind of rallied around him and then Tua came in you know, won the 90 for us and I feel like ever since then we've become just a QB identified team you know, we talk about Tua. Mac Jones got us to the 2020 year. He had all that talent. But then we had Bryce. And talk about Tua and Bryce. Like, I just honestly felt like if we had that person in the game, we always had a chance. There was literally not a game I didn't think we would lose. And so I feel like that identity is, like, carried on. Um, and the expectations just from around the fans, like probably around the coaching staff, around the team, was, like, for the QB to keep filling that void. Um, and so, like, week one, Bama comes out, looks great. I feel like that was, like, everybody just kind of breathed and was like, okay, we're going to be fine. And then week two, we come out. I honestly thought we were going to beat Texas by two touchdowns. On You know, obviously we didn't. But at that moment, it seemed like everything just hit the fan. And I feel like internally and externally, as far as the program goes, I think – they literally did, you know, flip the program over and then turned it back upside down again from the standpoint of, you know, we went into UC – or, I'm sorry, South Florida, I think it was, uh, and, you know, came in with two backups. I know you guys said Miller was potentially suspended, but just basically gave them the game to kind of, you know, essentially prove to everybody that, you know, Miller is the guy. And then after that, I feel like it just took them a while to get going. I mean, there was – we went through three weeks – you know, four weeks of the season, you know, really trying to figure out who the starter was. And now, you know, another four weeks it took them to get gelled and get things going. And then like we were talking about earlier, the playbook design – you know, making the playbook design around him versus trying to make him fit into the playbook. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of – I mean, my opinion is I just think the expectations were way too high for him to begin with. I mean, I thought he was going to struggle. Um, I didn't think, you know, it was going to be – I kind of thought the team would carry him in a sense or, you know, make him be better. But I, I, I had expectations that he was going to struggle a little bit, um, and he did. And so – but, I mean, now they've, you know, they got things going. But the last thing I'll add to it is they also just got through, you know, four really good wins. I mean, an A&M win, LSU win, Ole Miss win. And then a Kentucky win. I mean, those are all good SEC, you know, SEC wins. Uh, and I think they just went through, you know, the toughest part of their schedule. I think somebody told me yesterday that they have the seventh toughest schedule in the country. I don't know if that's, you know, fact or not. Um, but now we're getting to the end of it and they're getting things going. So that's my answer. You know, it's kind of a broad, all over the place answer, but um, that's it. So it's basically you're saying that – 
Alabama had gotten so used to having that dog at quarterback that we didn't know that was a huge question mark, the biggest hole in the team probably. Um when in reality it was the offensive line because but all we heard about the offensive line was how great they were all summer and, and all, fall all season. Yeah. And uh, and they were actually probably the weakest link on the offense. We talked about, you know, we all we heard was the receivers suck. They can't catch a cold. And they've been probably the high point <laughs> of the offense. And then there was a, just a huge question mark at the quarterback spot. And I think that after the middle Tennessee state game, what you're saying is we're like, okay, we still had that dog at quarterback. And just subconsciously we were thinking of Bryce Mack Tua, guys like that. When in reality we had a Jake Coker type situation where we are going to have to grow with him. He's going to have to grow in the offense. He's going to have to grind every single week to win games. And I, maybe yeah. so you're saying we haven't had that in almost a freaking decade. It doesn't feel like it, but that was almost a decade ago. I mean, it's been my uh, sophomore year. Of, I mean, yeah. I mean, Jalen Hurts was the QB my sophomore year of college. But I mean, I, I, you know, comparing or coming off what you're saying, I compare it a lot. I know it's not the exact same situation. But a lot similar to the Jalen Hurts situation. I mean, Jalen Hurts was not perfect. I mean, he struggled. Um, you know, that season was not a uh, you know just a Cinderella story. You know, Cinderella story. Um, I mean, I just think it takes time. But yeah, I mean, ex- you're exactly right. I mean, it's been five, six years since we've even had to like even think about stressing about the quarterback position. And then now, like all of a sudden, we're just yeah, freaking we out. So we just all yeah, because <laughs> yeah. So I'm just like you know I'm you know just me personally. I was you know just the whole time like just everybody calm down. You know he's not gonna be Bryce Young. He never will be. It doesn't matter how how good he gets. He will never be as good as Bryce Young. But he can be good in his own way. And you know it's just gonna take time to figure that out. That makes sense. Um, and I can. I can see that. I still won't forgive the fact because I don't know if you got to listen last week, but we talked about how you had three oh, guys did, that, yeah. that could potentially start at quarterback. Why do you not have an offense designed for each of them? And not not maybe an offense, but packages, you know, 10, 15 plays that each of them can excel at. They can go win you a game if, if you call them in the right spots. But, um, yeah, I see where you're coming from there. Um Let's go to J Law. J Law, same question. What what is your what is the reason why you think that that Alabama got off to the slow start offensively, and and the reason that they picked it up? What what changed? Yeah, I just want to start off by saying I don't think any of us hated on Jalen Milrow. We hated on the offensive plan that was put in place for Milrow. For- for Jalen Milrow to go out and attempt to lead a successful offense. Like it was, it was totally bogus. It had no chance to work. You have what looked like the fastest guy on the field over the last three weeks standing in the pocket, trying to make him Bryce Young. But see, I don't even think that's it. I mean, like, yeah, we, we, none of, I don't think Saban or Tommy Reese thought this guy was a dog at quarterback. I think that even if you go back to Tua and what Kiffin did with Jalen and what um, even with what Sark did with Mac and Tua, dude, like it's college ball, dude. Nobody else is sitting back there and going through four progressions. I promise you, Bo Nix is not 90% of his dropbacks making it to the third or fourth progression and trying to 
trying to figure out everything that the defense is doing at the line of scrimmage. The OC and the the, the plan was not making it easy for Milrow. That's not who he is. So I, I, I think, like, the biggest thing for me is, number one, dude, I, design QB runs or not, we came out the second half of Tennessee and we ran the football. To me, like, with, with the quarterback, you got to defend all 11 guys. So the offense is so wide open. I know I've talked about it a million times. Dudes were running wide open against Texas. Ole Miss. A couple times against A&M where we threw a pick. There have been games where dudes were running wide open and we weren't able to get through the progressions and get there. I think even over these last few weeks, dudes have been running wide open. But now that the defense has to focus on Jalen taking off and running like you saw it with the Rodell Williams touchdown you saw it with the Kobe Prentice touchdown the safety looked in the backfield for a second saw the quarterback rolling to his right next thing you know Kobe Prentice is by himself in the end zone nobody near him the evolution of Jalen Milrow's legs his confidence to use his legs the clearance to use his legs it's the Jalen Milrow I mean the Jalen Hurts issue where at practice they wouldn't let him run same for Jalen Milrow. Practice, they won't let him run. Well, in the game, dude, run. If you can run and you can get a first down, go get it. And Tommy Reese's game plan, man. Like, I just think that this offense was sitting on something that was super valuable in Jalen Milrow's legs that at the end of the day, I mean, like, yeah, I get what you want to do on offense. I understand why you want to do it. I think we all do. But at the end of the day, your best quarterback or the guy that you keep sending out there just absolutely could not do what they were asking him to do. So what do you do? You got a dynamic athlete, dude. Start catering to what he does. And it sucks that it took us six ball games to get there. But I think you got to – and I don't want to steal Lester's thunder, but I think you got to blame Nick Saban because they literally installed a brand-new offense in three weeks. So what were they doing from February when you hired Tommy Reese until the second half of the Tennessee game? What were you doing? There was a 90% chance that Jalen Milrow was going to be your quarterback for those, what, seven months leading up to the season. So what were you doing for seven months? And what did you see from Jalen Milrow for seven months that made you think that he would be successful doing that? That All that stuff on top of the offensive line gave up no sacks, playing much better. They don't have to block as many guys in the box now because they just can't straight up blitz up the middle and, and, and know that the quarterback's going to be a sitting duck. And I think the the run game has gotten slightly better due to the offense I do to Miller's legs. And it looks like we're just getting more valuable touches from Roy Dale and Jam. And, um, you know, Jason's playing a little banged up. But I think a lot of that goes <laughs> all together. But I don't think it's – it's obviously not a Jalen Milrow issue. Like, he's still going to make some boneheaded plays. But I just think it goes in on the plan and, and then what they're allowing him to do in the game plan throughout the week to prepare for a ball game. Lester, go ahead. The floor is yours. Give me a good answer because I know yours is a little bit different. So let me yeah. know what, what, what's the reason that that it took this Alabama offense so long to start clicking. I got a text message about 11.09 Saturday morning and said that the reporter just said that the offense we have did not exist three weeks ago like WTF. That was a text message I got from the homie Kobe Watts. And I read that and I was like, huh, okay. What happened three weeks ago? The bye week, right? That sounds about right. And I said on the podcast, hopefully the bye week 
is a time to, you know, look at things, evaluate, change, get better, yada, yada, yada. And another point I want to make up is as a CEO of a company, you're in charge of everything. You don't necessarily have your hands in everything, but as a CEO, you kind of dictate the way that things go, whether you have an expertise in it or not. Correct? So Nick Saban is got to be the reason why the offense was putrid till about a couple weeks ago. Got to be. There's there's I, I see no reason why he isn't the culprit here. And Nick Saban, as we all know, is a defensive coach. That is his specialty. What does this guy know about running an offense except what he thinks a successful offense should look like? I said all along when the offensive coordinator position came open is they've got to have a guy that will come in and have an ego, basically someone that Nick Saban cannot bully. Because I truly believe that that's what happened with Tommy Reese. Nick Saban hired somebody that he can bully. You know, I'm Nick Saban. I'm, you know, six-time, six, seven-time time national championship winner. What do you know that you can tell me about football? You know what I mean? I truly believe that's what happened in that scenario. But, you know, hopefully I'm thinking that Tommy Reese grew a pair of balls for himself, and he had to sit down and talk to Nick and be like, look, dude, because think about it. Tommy Reese is a grown-ass man. Like, this is his livelihood on the line, too. You know, Alabama comes up, has a sheet of office, Alabama, the University of Alabama, setting records in previous years with whoever. who don't, even, don't Quarterback talent does not matter. Jalen Miro is no slouch. This is Tommy Reese's livelihood. He's not going to sell Alabama forever. Surely he wants to go on to, you know, more opportunities, bigger, um, better. And Nick Saban was probably kneecapping that guy from the beginning because of what Nick Saban wanted to run. I told y'all, I think I told y'all several times before, the, the, the things that I loved about Sark and especially Kiffin the most is that, you know, Nick can look down at Kiffin all he wants to, and guess what Kiffin's going to do? Point at the damn scoreboard. Flick Nick Saban off, whatever. What can Nick do about it? Nothing. You know why? Because the offense is dominant and the team is winning. But with Reese, you think Reese is going to do that to Nick Saban? Absolutely not. I'm sure Reese wants to please Nick in any kind of way, run it his way, yada, yada. But as we've all said several times, offense is not hard. It's not. Especially with a guy like Jalen Miro, it should not be as difficult as it is with our talent to play winning football and to dominate other teams. Something happened during that bye week. I don't know what it was. Um, hopefully, Tommy Reese started parking in Nick's parking spot. Maybe, I don't know, pissing in his bathroom, leaving the seat up or whatever, and not flushing or whatever. Some way, somehow, Tommy Reese had to show that he has a set of pair, that he has a pair, and that his offense can win. All he knows is opportunity. And on the biggest stage against LSU, that offense came out. And for whatever happened, we're all thankful for it because, you know, as we said before, we're not playing for the regular season. Now, we surely Alabama has to get through the regular season, but we've always said SC championship, 
playoff national championship, you can you can run that little Rudy Poo offense against Kentucky or or South Florida or whoever and win. Yes, you can do that. But Alabama is a two to three game season. And this all the postseason. With Alabama's talent, they should be able to go through, dominate the regular season, and be prepared with whatever comes in the postseason. And most of the ire with the Alabama fan base, the offense, the first couple of weeks of the season, the first two months of the season, they didn't see that. So everyone has a right to be mad. Everyone has a right to be upset. And it all comes back to the CEO because ultimately the company is ran how it wants it to be unless he has a rogue employee like Sark or Kiff who are truly experts in their field and know how to get the job done. You know, it's as crazy as all that sounds, Lester. I, man, I think I had to lean towards that too because that was kind of what I was thinking. I thought that Nick Saban got a look at Georgia over the last couple of years, and Stetson Bennett ran when he needed to, but for majority of the time, he was a pocket passing quarterback. You know, he wasn't going to run for 150. 100, you know, 200 yards a game. He wasn't going to be that guy. He might run for 30 or 40 yards a game, just to, just enough to keep the defense honest. And they were just going to play great defense. Um, but I think what Saban didn't realize, and look, if you don't agree with this, argue with the wall. Stetson Bennett was an elite college quarterback. I know he was 38 years old playing against 20-year-olds. But, buddy, whenever you needed a, a bomb, he was going to put it on the money. Whenever you needed a check to get into the right play, he was going to do it. That guy could control that offense, and he ran it to perfection over the last two years. Um, now, I thought – I think Saban saw that, and he saw his offensive line, and he told, you know, Baloo, whoever, the strength and conditioning coaches, hey, get my offensive line bigger. I'm going to – use them, and we're just going to play Alabama football circa 2012. And, you know, we're going to run the ball in the interior. We're going to, you know, wear people down. Then we're going to play action, hit a deep shot. And I thought that was his mindset going into the season. Unfortunately, we played Texas week two, and that just threw a wrinkle into everything. And I thought that's when Saban kind of started wavering. And um, so I think that Reese, the offense was introduced to him, you know, because I mean, there's you can't just start running this kind of offense over a bye week. They, they've they ran it in the spring. They practiced, you know, they studied it in summer. They ran it in the fall, I'm sure, in practice, um, but it wasn't being implemented. And I don't know why it was until week eight at halftime versus Tennessee for it to make a change. But I do think starting off the season, I thought Saban had a plan for what he wanted this team to be because he knew he had a very, very good defense. And he thought that he could win every game scoring 24 points. And, I, you know, I, of course, you know, I'm sure he didn't didn't expect his quarterback to, <clears throat> to throw whatever five picks in the first four starts of the season or, you know, whatever it was. But – that being said, I hate that you had to play Texas week two and not week 10 because I truly believe if Alabama plays right now, I think they beat them in Austin and Brian Denny. And I don't, I don't think it matters. I think J-Law said you can play on Mars. I think I heard him say that before. You can play on Mars and Alabama would win the game. Um, 
So I, I think that's the case here. But um, very good answers from all three of y'all. I know that took a little bit, but that's definitely something I wanted to look into. Um, but you know, we don't we don't have a Chattanooga breakdown this week, so we can uh, we can <laughs> we can spend a little more more time. Um, going back to to this Kentucky game, um, Dudley, do you think that Kool Aid's a problem? <laughs> Returning punts, like, how, what, what's your opinion on him? Are you, are you a guy that's like, I've seen enough, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like him back there. He scares the hell out of me, and I think he's gonna drop one in the big time game and really hurt us. Um, or do you, are you a guy that's, you know, I guess like Saban that you know just, just keep putting him back out there and have as much confidence as we can. Where do you stand on Kool Aid returning punts right now? Oh, I like it. I mean. Yeah, everybody's gonna have a, a mess up every now and then. Um, I don't care how good you are, the, you know. But uh, I mean, I, I mean, if you have, I guess if the, if there's somebody that's like a backup or whatever that can run a four three, you know, and they can catch a punt, throw them back there. But if not, you know, just keep him. I think there's multiple guys. I think you can go. Well, I'm talking about can go back there and catch a damn punt though. And yeah, um, I think Neyland Stadium or, or Jordan Hare on you know. And and maybe do you think that's the reason why I think Saban he's in a little too deep right now? And maybe against Chattanooga you can let somebody else try to return one, but you go to Auburn, you, you don't really want to risk having somebody else return to punt, do you think it's kind of that situation where Saban thinks, you know, we're in too deep now, we can't make a change? No. I mean, I don't think – or I mean, obviously special teams is very important. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it comes down to decision-making. I mean, you know, sometimes you got to back off. I, I, I never return punts. I don't really know shit about special teams for real. But I know if I, by playing Madden NCAA – so you just sometimes you got back off of it and just let it roll to the end zone, or you know just hope it goes to the end zone. Um, but there's other times where you know, and if you've got guys cr- crowding around you, I mean, yeah, you know, field the punt or whatever. But I I don't think that's anything to be worried about. I mean, if anything, um, I mean I I think that's the least of our worries. You know, heading into Auburn is you know what the special teams is doing. I still think there's a lot on offense that, you know, still needs to be corrected, still needs to be adjusted. And, I mean, you know, defense needs to get ready. But, you know, from the standpoint of special teams, I'm confident in a, you know, first-round draft pick going back there and catching the ball every time. Yeah, I mean, I would be too if he caught the ball every time. But this guy has done muff after muff after muff. And then he'll, you know. How many muffs does he have? I guess, I mean, I I truly. J-Law, help me out here. It's got to be, it's got to be six or seven. I mean, Jay, on the whole like, season? Yes. Wow. Yeah. It I seems like that. it's almost one every game. And, you know, what was it, LSU or Tennessee or whoever that he just kept letting them go? And, you know, I understand those. Maybe you think he's going to kick it right and he kicks it left and vice versa. But there's a lot of times where he's camped. You know, it's not like he's trying to catch it on the run or he's got to slide to catch it. If that's the case, back off. I agree with that 100%. But there's been multiple times, four or five times, where he's been camped under the ball and then just gotten out of the way. And that's just as bad. I mean, it's it's not as bad as a muff, but that thing, that ball's not – it bounces funny, man. I think he come back and hit you in the leg and then, then it is a muff. But, you know, J-Law, what do you think about Kool-Aid back there? Another muff against Kentucky. Alabama's up twenty-one nothing. 
and then bam, you know, Kentucky gets the ball, comes down and scores. I'm not saying to change the momentum of the game, but to me, if he does that stuff in Auburn or in Atlanta, that's something that could – you give up three or seven yeah. points, that can be a huge momentum changer. And I don't even think Kool like Kool Aid's not back there. Kool Aid's back there to return punts. I don't think he's back there to catch punts. Like, and I think he's had plenty of opportunities this year on so many that he just let hit where you had a chance to return a punt. That's why you're back there. Just think about all the dudes we've had return punts for us from Javi to Eddie Jackson. I mean, like, dude, we've had some dogs returning punts for Nick Saban, and he loves that. So you put one of your best dudes back there. Yeah, obviously, number one is to catch it. But number two, like, you want to get some electricity out of the punt return game, flip the field, get good field position for your offense. And he's not doing one or two. He's not catching it. Either he lets it go. I think – I don't know if it's eight, but I feel like it's at least four or five straight-up muffed punts. And there's just been so many of the others that it's just gotten really frustrating. But it's just – there's probably been – 20 kicks this year that he hasn't caught in the air when there's opportunity to save 15 to 20 yards in field position. I think it was the Tennessee game where he just wouldn't catch it. And I get it. They do a little rugby style, but I mean, I, I think you got to find a way as a good punt return to go get it. And here's the deal. Like it's not that you hate Kool-Aid, but put somebody back there that you know is going to get under the ball and catch it. I mean, we think there's other guys that do it. Um, you got Isaiah Bond. You let Kendrick Law catch kickoffs. Um, so, I mean, I, I think before it loses you a game, not that it could have lost us the Kentucky game, but I tell you, I was pretty pissed off up 21 nothing with all the momentum in the ball game, needing style points, needing blowout wins that we go out and just muff a punt for at, while jumping away football too. I'm like not not that he just dropped it. He tried to jump away from it and catch it at the same time. So I think that you know if he's not going to catch it and if he's not going to be reliable, just make a change. Like it's not going to change Kool Aid's draft stock. You're not benching him. You're not taking him from corner and putting him on the bench. You're just taking punt returns from him. And if that's what you got to do, because listen, that you're going to have bigger games. Iron Bowl's coming up on the road. You do that against Georgia, you lose. I mean, the turnovers are big in that ball game. You do it in the playoff potentially. You lose that game. So I do think you got to give somebody another look. Maybe they have. Maybe Isaiah Bond can't catch it. I don't know. I think he's the backup returner. But um, I think he at least got to put somebody else out there, at least this week, get them some reps to see if they can be confident against live bullets. Yeah, Lester, is that kind of how you're thinking too? That's that's kind of what I'm thinking. Against Chattanooga, use that game, and we'll talk about chat in a minute. Um because you, you, I don't think it's smart to throw a, a fresh body out there in Jordan-Hare Stadium or against Georgia in the SEC Championship. But what would you do with Kool-Aid right now? Yeah, pull his ass. I've said that. <laughs> I've said, no, no, I've said, I've said that for a couple of weeks now. Pull him. You should, the, this move should have been done. The guy is a first-round draft pick. He about to get paid. He's a shutdown corner. He's playing a low impact position. Guys are even throw his way. Most of the time during the game, Kool-Aid's just running up and down the field, just running sprints, unless he gets somewhat of a mix up and has to throw a shoulder in there to make a tackle. That dude does not want to get hit. That dude does not want to get hurt. I saw it months ago. He does not want to be back there. Pull him. 
He's trying to save his draft stock, which I don't get. Look, self-preservation is that's that's human human nature. I get it. Okay, he's about to get paid a fat paycheck. All right, pull him. It should have been done. How many NFL teams? How many other college teams are putting their best corner at punt return? I don't care how good he is. If he's not going to go back there with that Javi mentality that Jay was talking about earlier, with that dog mentality to to flip the field for the offense, he doesn't need to be back there point blank period because he's hurting the team. It's not just one or two here and there. It's a habit at this point. It is a habit. You can count on Kool-Aid royally screwing up at least one point a game. Now, pull him. It should have been pulled. Long I didn't think about it, but you know that kind of makes sense because even his his contact rate has gone down. Lester, there's a play in the Kentucky game. You know, just kind of went for the ball and didn't wrap up, wrap up, and the guy broke through a tackle. You know, kind of like what um, Trevon Diggs used to do at, at corner. You know, trying to avoid contact, not stick your head in there. And uh, so, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What you're saying that self preservation might be something to look into, um, but um. Moving on to the chat, the Chattanooga. Game. Hey, can I hit one thing real quick? Absolutely, man. Go ahead. I, I uh, based off what you guys said, now I kind of or I look at the question a little differently. But if I was Kool Aid, man, I'd be I'd go to Nick Saban and say, "Hey, I, I really don't want to return punts anymore." From the standpoint of being a first round draft pick, I mean, you know, your highest odds of probability of getting hurt is going to be on a punt return. So if it was me as Kool Aid, I would just give it up but I mean from the stamp I just I, I guess what I was saying earlier was like I would like to know that somebody's 100% confident to go back there and catching it versus you know just throwing somebody back there and seeing if they can do it yeah and that's not 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 it's not that easy to do you know because these guys are so competitive and I'm sure he's not walking back after a defensive stop with the mindset of yeah I ain't catching this one you know or you know if it comes right to me I'll fair catch it but that's it um I'm sure, you know, he's thinking, all right, let's take this to the house. And then once the ball's in the air and he sees those guys running out in full speed, he's like, ah. So, you know, it, I'm sure he doesn't want to give up the spot. But at the same time, I kind of see, you know, if he – to be the best teammate, he needs to do what you just said. Dudley. He needs to go to Nick Saban and be like, look, I think I'm hurting the team back there. We have a game against Chattanooga to get somebody some reps. Let's do that. But I don't see it happening. I think Alabama's kind of stuck with him right now. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> moving into the Chattanooga game, not much to cover here. There's not even a spread line on the board. Um, so, we'll say uh, – let's just say 45. We'll set the line ourselves at 45. Um, J-Law, tell me what Alabama needs to do in this game to, to prepare for the Iron Bowl, and then tell me if you think Alabama covers the imaginary 45-point spread. 45, ooh, yeah, I think they will. I think it's said easily a 50, 56 to 7 or 10 ball game. So I, I like that. Now, what they need to do, I mean, my thing is stop. Don't show any more stuff. Don't, don't pull anything out that you don't have to. Get your guys two, two quarters in. Let Jalen Milrow throw it around the yard. No reason to run. Um, just get loose, man. Cause this, this, I hate these games. They're not fun. Um, I wish they were gone, 
I mean, we're sitting here in November playing the Chattanooga Mocs. So, I mean, like, it's not not a lot of fun football going on this weekend. But for Alabama, man, I just think you got to keep your guys fresh. And, you know, I think the offensive line could definitely use a game like this, another game where they can just kind of put their hand in the dirt, beat the guy in front of them, build confidence. And I think that was the biggest thing for the O-line is just building confidence. The way that they've played football over the last two games, haven't given up a sack since the first quarter against LSU. So, I mean, they've been playing really good football. Um, I think we're about to play a team that throws the ball around the, the yard a lot, which is they're going to give you some weird looks on the offense, kind of like Hugh Freeze will give you the next week. But, you know, to me, man, I'm using this these two weeks. I know Saban won't do it, or at least he won't say it out loud. But, man, you got to win the Iron Bowl. I mean, you're going to beat Chattanooga. You got to win the Iron Bowl to stay alive for a natty. It's the toughest place to play in college football when Alabama or Georgia are visiting. No other time is it a tough place to play. Um, but I think you go in this this week, get ready for Auburn, and and see what you can do, knowing that everything's going to be on the line the next two ball games after this one. Stay healthy, stay healthy, stay healthy, stay healthy, please, please, please. What year was it when uh was it like twenty thirteen or something when like Amari Cooper like rolled his ankle up against like Georgia Southern or whoever? Yeah, it was the uh, kick since year. I was like, oh golly, don't lose that guy. But you know, he actually ended up playing the um the next week in, in the Iron Bowl. But all the stuff that I complained about, Tommy Reese, if you're listening, which you might be, we don't know. You know, hell, guys, the uh, the offensive turnaround might be because Tommy Reese and Nick Saban listen to Gump Runners every Wednesday or Thursday whenever it's released during their lunch break. But um, it's uh, everything that I've talked about that I said I didn't like so far this year, do it. Run the dive play 80 times. I don't care. Get to halftime of 28 nothing. Get your starters out. Please, please, please do not risk. And it, it's never happened. Knock on wood. Somebody find some wood, knock on it. If you always, I always think about targeting in the second half. That's one thing that I always fear in games like this. You know, somebody gets because your focus is not, you're not locked in. Usually it's you're up by three, four touchdowns by that point. Somebody, you know, comes across the middle, Terry on Arnold or Kool-Aid, hit somebody high, and they get ejected for targeting. Well, bam, now you're now you're going for the first half next week and the most important game that you have left on your schedule, which is the which is the Iron Bowl. So that right there absolutely cannot happen. Get your starters out as soon as possible. Lester, how many weeks have we said this, or how many times have we said this over the last 15 years? Seems like hundreds, but um take care of your guys and it's also, you know, serviceable time, serviceable backup reps is needed. Um, if you're going to run Milrow, then he's going to get nicked up, get Ty as many throws as you can, get him prepped in game as much as you can. Um, think Alabama wins, say, 55 to 10. Say Bama pushes the 45. Yeah, 55-10. 55-10 Um the mocks get a late touchdown off of backups, maybe in the last three or four minutes or so, maybe when the walk-ons are in. But Alabama 55 to 10. Dudley, what do you have? Does um tell me what Alabama needs to do in this game against Chattanooga and um tell me if Alabama covers the imaginary 45 point spread. Do we lose Dudley? You're muted. I don't know if he's there or not. 
Hey, I'll go ahead and get That's on me. That's on me. Oh, my oh, bad. There he is. No, yeah, let Dudley go. I couldn't get my damn phone unlocked. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I was going to – I mean, I agree with you guys a thousand percent. Need to stay healthy. I wish in a perfect world we could just literally send the second string in and just say, Yo, you know, y'all go have a field day, you know, try to win it. But, obviously, they're not, that's not going to happen. Fun, how fun would that be? Not just for the fans – but for the that would be awesome as well, dude. Because you know the starters, they don't want to play in this game. I don't care what you say; they don't want to play in this game. Nobody. Wants no, to they're not hyped up at all for senior yeah. day at eleven o'clock in the morning. I mean, maybe if I'm a senior, I want to start. But Dudley, I love that, dude. Hey, send the second string out there; they'd get nothing for, but support from the first team. Yeah, super fun. I mean, that'd be electric if it was just you know all backups. For the, I mean, the, that stadium would it would be. 109,000, whatever it is. Um, but uh, no, I agree. Need to stay healthy, but I do think, you know, they're obviously they're going to throw in the guys, you know, for the first half. Um, I think it's really important that, uh, that they just keep a consistent flow going. So, you know, when they get, when they decide to start taking those guys out, that like there has been. You know, they don't go four or five drives stalling out, and then they're like, all right, you know, we ran out the clock enough, let's get them out. I think they need to finish off on a high note going into Auburn. Um, but, I mean, I think the other thing is, you know, being realistic is, uh, you know, I mean, it, you, know, in, health, you know, everybody staying healthy, you know, number one is huge, but number two is just getting a good, solid game plan together and then just being ready to go to plan B because we know how things go in Jordan Hare when we're playing there. Um so, I mean, I think, you know, I don't think they're – I know they're going to say, oh, we're focused on Chattanooga this week. But, I, you know, I dead ass I, – I think they're probably watching Auburn film right now, if I had to be honest. Hope you're right on that because that's, that's definitely what I'd be doing. I'd be watching it since since last Sunday. <clears throat> um, yeah. Lester, what do you have for this game? What You know, if you're Nick Saban, how are you, how are you approaching this week before the Iron Bowl? Yeah, I want um this game. I want to see Jay Law. I mean, down Jay Law, uh, Jalen Milrow. I want to see him throw for three hundred passing yards. Not Bro, deep. Damn. What? Listen, listen, look. Not deep balls. Short, intermediate routes. We know he can bomb it deep. I want. I'm gonna think of this game as a extra practice against live opponents. You know, think how about long the, do you play in? One half. So you want After, him to throw for three hundred yards in thirty minutes? Yeah, sure. hey, yeah. Or, that's what I was saying was get just getting on a high note somehow, and then yeah. getting them out. Yeah, absolutely. All that's right. it. Just, just, and then in the second half, play Ty Simpson and let him throw the ball. Let him run it. Let him just let it rip. Let him run the LSU or Kentucky game plan for Ty Simpson in the second half. Alabama needs to score 70, 77 points. This this is what we've always talked about. Go out, score. Damn the other team. No offense, but they're the Tennessee Moccasins, the Chattanooga Moccasins. Okay, we get it. They're not that good. What have you said oh, before, wow. Lester? Lester, you know what's going to happen. Was it you uh, that said that uh, it, it's their parents' fault for not making better football players? No, I didn't say that. I said Nick Saban was needs to – Damn somebody, their feelings. Somebody said it one time and it was hilarious. They're like, you know, it's not it's not Nick Saban's fault that your kid's not good enough. Because he was talking about how the you know the parents we feel bad for the parents. Yeah. And yeah, like, is, <laughs> no, that's not our yeah, fault. That, that probably was me. But, oh, you gotta know. 
Yeah, but go out, score, like get, build your build some confidence with your second team. Get to play, and you know once your first team guys get out there, dominate. You know, get those short intermediate routes, get it down pat. Keep going with it. Second half, get Ty, get Ty Simpson, get all those guys out there and go. Let them go out there and run the offense. Defense, do your thing, lock it down. And uh, yeah, get out there with no injuries, man. That's that's definitely it. And get ready for the iron ball. J Law, bet of the week. What you going with? Hey, hey, hold on. Let me look. Go to go to Lester on this one real fast. Lester, do you have yours? I'll I'll do mine real quick. I'm I'm gonna go uh I'm gonna stay with a hot team, um, team that I think just proved that they should be number one. Um, this the uh, college football rankings will come out on the day we release this, so uh, we won't be able to know. But yeah, I think it's Georgia. Um, I'm you know Tennessee is just they're not showing any signs of improvement, guys. They just went and got their ass whooped by Missouri, and they got to play Georgia at home, and it's in Nayland Stadium, but. How how loud can the fans be for this one? They know they're going to get drummed. Their season's done. Georgia's favored by 10 on the road. Give me Georgia all day long. You ready, J-Law? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Louisville on the road at Miami, only minus one. I think Miami's done. They gave it their best shot they had yeah. last week against Florida State. Kind of got screwed out of a two-point conversion play that could have been really big uh, down the stretch in that game. And then momentum – I'm not a two-point conversion play, safety play, sorry. That could have been really big in that game. I like Louisville by at least a touchdown on the road in Miami. I think that's a pretty easy one. I like that. Good pick. Yeah, Miami kind of get yeah, just gave their best effort last week against Florida State and try to upset them and they're gonna be down. So um Dudley, what's your bet of the week this week? Uh I'm going back and forth, but uh <sighs> You need to jump to Lester. I'm going between like three or four right now. All right, let's do it. Um, I'll go with um Missouri. I think this ten and a half or eleven and a half over See Florida. This? Um, Where's I'm gonna go at? Missouri. It's at Missouri. Mikey. All right. Um, I I I don't have any confidence in Florida right now. I think they're kind of on a not a downward spiral, but not that great. But they they're kind of a Jekyll and Hyde team. You don't know where you're gonna what you're gonna get from them. But I do have faith in that Missouri offense, so I'm gonna take Missouri. All right, I'm ready now. Uh, I'm just trying to find it again, but I'm gonna take Iowa State to cover against Texas, Texas? at seven and a half. Oh yeah, uh, running back's going for the and. Six. Saw that. Dude. I, or for some reason, Iowa State always plays them decently well. I mean, maybe not every single year, but pretty well. But um, maybe this is the game. I'm just gonna, you know, hop on this a little biased, but maybe this is the game that slingshots us into the play. You know, as long as obviously schedule plays out, but slingshots us into the uh, playoff. So what? This will be what twenty eleven all over again. We're leaning on the Iowa State Cyclones, right? Could be. All right, Della. Do you think they have a chance of winning? Who? Iowa State. Like I, I I don't know what the spread is, but you think you think it's seven and a half? I'm trying to find. Yeah, it is seven and a half. Yeah, I think they have a chance of winning. Um, 
Man, I, I listened to – it was another guy's podcast not too long ago, but they were talking about the coaches. And uh, they brought up this statistic, and I don't remember what it is, but they're like when Steve Sarkeesian plays like elite coaches or, you know, high, high-profile coaches, their offensive production is crazy. And he was like, when they don't, it's absolutely terrible. And he, he plays with competition. Yeah, I mean, it's basically what they're saying is like he knows when he's about to, and it's basically like from the offensive perspective, like when he plays like a high-profile offensive team, like you know, he comes in with some shit that's just absolutely crazy. But then, and then they said, and it, they were telling the statistics, and I wish I could tell you which one it was. I was listening on SiriusXM, I think. Um, but they were saying, you know, when he plays against teams that don't have high-profile coaches or don't have high-profile offenses, their offense is significantly lower. And so I just think – or, you know, it's probably time. They just really struggled against TCU towards the end. I think they won by three. I may be wrong. It may have been a touchdown. Um, but I just think – I don't know. I think they're going to cover that spread, though. But I do think Iowa State has a good chance to win. Let's get into some playoff talk real quick um, because – our hypotheticals that we've talked about for weeks, Lester, uh, they're getting closer and closer to becoming a reality. Um, I think Alabama – I mean, J-Law, do you think the best chance Alabama has is Texas? I'm not sure that um, – I'm not I'm not sure that Oregon is going to help Alabama out. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure – you know, I, I truly believe Oregon is going to win the Pac-12 at 12-1. and one. I think they get in there – um, they they do have to play at Oregon State, but um, I think if they play Washington again on a neutral field, they will beat the Huskies. So I think Texas is Alabama's last chance. Is that kind of how you're looking at it? And and you know Texas has been playing with fire. You know the Kansas State bonehead uh, loss that they had against Texas in overtime, and then even with Quinn Ewers back, you go on the road and you beat TCU by three, and. Uh, had a big had a big lead in that game, gave it away late, almost lost the game. J Law, you know, playoff. Like, do you think there's a chance? You know, we talked about this on text earlier. Alabama, not only do they go on the road in the SEC and they win by 28 points, they did it with no Jermaine Burton, no Deontay Lawson, no Jalen Key. That's three starters. Um, do you think that's something that that the committee takes into that takes into account or do you think it just doesn't matter? No, I'll like just get on their website and look who the heck's voting on this. A bunch of freaking people you've never heard of. Um, not that I think the committee is rigged, but I think they're using a lot of things as cop outs right now. Um, last year they, you know, they I just don't like how they use eye tests for some and then it's resume and then uh, it's this and that. But no, I think the your best shot is Texas losing. There's absolutely no doubt about that because as a one loss SEC champ, then you'll get in for sure. Um, but I also think man, Louisville is a really good chance for for Alabama as well. Louisville and Florida State have it, I think, after this week will definitely lock their place into the ACC championship game. Louisville. Really good. Um, was I think their coach is Jeff Brom. I mean, dude, they're they're really really good football team. But I do think right now, just the way things look, and I don't agree with it. Alabama's resume is probably the second best in football, only behind Texas. After I mean, after uh, Georgia, after their win over Ole Miss, they have a better resume than Texas, even though they lost head to head. They have a better resume than Oregon, who has one top twenty five win. 
Um, so I would just say that, yeah, I think that's their best chance. I don't agree with it. Um, but there's, I think there's still some other spots where, you know, some teams could, could slip up potentially. But, you know, if Texas loses that, if Alabama wins out, they'll get in. Dudley, what was your um, what was your thoughts? What are your thoughts on the uh, the initial playoff rankings? There hasn't been any movement in the top eight since the initial rankings came out. Did you do you agree with those initial rankings? And um, and you know, also the question that everybody's wanting to know: What's it going to take for somebody to jump somebody? Like you know, Georgia's sitting at number two, I believe. They have an impressive top ten win. But it's their only one. Ohio State has, you know, has has one on the road again against Notre Dame earlier this season. So will Georgia flip Ohio or jump Ohio State and uh, and go to that number one spot? And um, you know, geez, uh, there's a lot of comparisons this week. You know, Texas goes on the road, barely wins. They have a head to head over Alabama. Oregon wins by nine against the USC team, who was seven and three. Kentucky was six and three, you know, relatively similar record to USC. It's that they're not playing in the Pac-12; they're playing in the SEC. And um, Alabama goes on the road, beats them by twenty-eight without three starters. So, what do you? What is? Did you agree with the original rankings? And number two, what's it going to take for somebody to jump somebody? Oh um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with the rankings right now. I mean, let's not forget the, you know, main or one of the main topics in the podcast is like, why did we just get rolling on offense? Um, so, you know, I mean, Oregon's been rolling on offense. I mean, offense is at the end of the day is what's going to win championships. Yeah, you. I mean, obviously, de- I know the same defense win championships or whatever, but if you ain't scoring points, you ain't going to win. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, our offense just got rolling a game and a half ago. Um, Oregon's been rolling. Um, Texas, you know, they've had the, you know, hurt QB for a while. And yeah, they've had some trouble wins, but they've still been rolling. Um, so I think that's really what they're looking at. But I agree with Jeremy 100%. If we went out, we're in. Um, it don't matter, you know, how we went out. I think we're in. If we beat the number one, I, you know, I don't know if you, I don't remember if you asked me or if you asked Jeremy if Ohio State or Georgia's going to, you know, jump to number one. But, I mean, either way, if Georgia's number two or number one, I think if we beat them in the SC Championship, we're for sure in. Lester, um, Lester you want to you jump in on that? Yeah, I'm only addressing this because you asked me to. But um, I I do not think there is a scenario. Unless, so, in order for Alabama to get into the playoff, Absolute chaos has to happen. It has I don't to think be, so. I think Texas has to lose. Here. Texas that's, has to lose. That's it. But so I think no. I think more than Texas has to lose. I, yeah, I don't think it's chaos. I think Texas, Texas or Florida State. Texas or Florida State got to lose because I don't. I think, I think Texas is right. I think. Well, I'm just saying, like Texas or Florida State. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, sure. Yeah. This, bingo, this shows the flaw in the committee, right? So if you yeah. lose, you're automatically the last the least best one loss team yes like you see the flaw like like there's yeah there's, I, I listen i think that i think the, the rankings are stupid too like that's why i say it like they've got alabama so y'all think we should be ranked above oregon and uh texas right now or oregon i yes. think we should be around very uh, ranked above oregon yeah yeah see this this is this is why see, i don't understand that 
Well, Dudley, my beef with my beef is with Oregon. I, you know, Texas, you have to honor the head to head. Granted, you can sit here and make an argument to your red in the face about it was week two. Alabama had a new OC, new DC, new quarterback, freshman left tackle, uh, freshman uh, safety that got burnt twice. Um, you know, you had all these new pieces, and but everybody's like, well, they were at home. Okay, I understand that Texas had like eighteen returning starters. Man, they were insane. That defensive line is one of the best in the country, and. Um, and, you know, they still scored 10 points off of turnovers, which is the difference in the game. And I think if they play now, Alabama beats them. Simple as that. No matter where they play, I said that earlier. My beef is with Oregon. And I agree with exactly what Greg McElroy said on his show about as a committee, you can't have different reasons for different teams. Like with, with uh, Ohio State, you know, they're number one because of their resume. Who have they played? Yes, they barely won the games. They didn't pass the eye test in those games, but they played tough competition and they won. Yet they get down to Oregon and they're like, well, they've looked the best. Okay, that's completely different things. Like with, with Ohio State, with Texas, it's all resume. And with Oregon, oh, they look good. Well, their strength, their strength of schedule is like 60th in the country. Whereas Alabama and Ohio State and Texas, I believe, are all top ten. Yet Oregon has looked good because they're playing bad teams every week. Everybody would look good against those teams. You see what I'm saying? That's that's the only thing I do, I disagree with. So I think I think Bama right now. I think Texas should be six. Bama should be seven. Oregon should be eight. I think that's how it is. But I think that. Um, I think that uh, if Oregon wins out, wins Pat twelve, Texas wins out, Alabama doesn't get in. They're going to be five. And I really don't see an argument around that. That's why I asked you, Dudley, how does Alabama jump somebody? Winning Auburn candidly and just beating Georgia. Yeah, but thing is, here's here's my kicker. I mean, I agree with you. Like, yeah, somebody has to lose, but I. That I that's really only the believe. case. That's only the case if Oregon comes back and beats Washington, right? right. So if you, you you would need mm-hmm. Oregon to beat Washington in the Pac-12 title, game. and well, I agree with that. That's what I'm that. saying. Then one of them is gonna fall. There's no, you, no exactly. way. Exactly. That's my point. So, Look, Ohio State, Michigan, the loser eliminated. They go behind Alabama. Washington, Oregon, the loser eliminated. They're behind Alabama. Where's that put Alabama at? Six. So who does Texas play in the in the uh is it the Big Twelve or Big Ten? It's gonna be Oklahoma State. Okay. Well, I, and that's I actually gonna be a tough game. Um well, Oklahoma State just got beat by a crap team. Maybe they, they did, yeah. Go they did them. get beat by South Florida or UCF. You, Jeremy, you were going to say something. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you. I was just going to say, I just think that, like, if Oregon beats Washington and Alabama beats Georgia, at the end of the day, Alabama's resume is just far superior. Alabama beats, the, Alabama beats the number one team in the country. The number one team that these people are ranking as the number one team loses against a team that finishes the year with four top 25 wins, three of those by double digits. I just think that at the end of the day, that would be enough. Now, not if Washington wins out, they're in. But if Oregon does beat Washington, I think, and Alabama beats Georgia, there would be enough right there to at least 
I think there would be enough for a legitimate conversation. Say Alabama is just a better team than Oregon. Yeah, at this there's point. a there's definitely some same conversation. But here's here's Here. here's another thing: if Alabama beats number two or number one Georgia on the SEC championship weekend, guess what? Oregon beats the number five team in the country. A lot of people's eyes, a lot of people's eyes on the committee, that's going to be just as impressive, especially in a revenge game when that team already beat you earlier in the year. That's not going to be just as impressive as beating Georgia. Georgia's only 26. They're they're about to rank Georgia one. So that's what I'm saying. Like they're the people. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Listen, I'm thinking there's there's no question Georgia's one. Look, listen. People are still upset that Alabama got in after not winning the conference. People are still upset that Alabama and LSU played in the championship game together. I'm telling you, and J-Law just said it, they are setting it up. Listen, listen clearly. Georgia's going to be one going into the SEC championship game, right? If Bama happens to beat them, Georgia's dropping to four. They're not getting left out the playoff. Ah, uh, they're out. Nah, that's, they're they're out. out. that's not going to uh, happen. Hold on. No, no. So, uh-uh. one thing I hadn't heard yet is uh, anything about the Michigan-Ohio State game yet. Those two still have to play. Losers, elimin- losers got- eliminated. The, pre- the precedent has been set. Alabama is not going to beat the shit out of Georgia. If they win by – Everybody knows that. Maybe. Maybe. But, look, if Georgia keeps it somewhat close in a loss – the president has hey, split last year. I, I, I agree. That is that what should happen because you're putting the best four teams in. Yeah. I probably agree with you on that, but they're just not going to do it after letting TCU in last year. That's uh-huh. just not. That's just not the case anymore. The pres- well, it's the just pres- college football is too competitive this year. Well, yeah, that's that's it. Does that's what I was going to say, Lester? That's not a precedent because last that's- year you had a bunch of two loss teams behind yeah. TCU. This year. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to be either undefeated or have one loss. You might have exactly. I guess you could potentially have five or six one loss teams sitting there at twelve and one or thirteen and zero, uh, and and so it's not this. There's no precedent because it's not. They will the put the two time defending. I mean, if one loss and yeah, uh, yes, they will. They won't. I don't it's even agree. Too with- competitive. Yeah, I agree with Dudley on that. It's too competitive, but I, I don't agree with just because you're undefeated that you're one of the best four teams. Like, I think that's what people in the, like, the the worst, the less competitive conferences would say. Like, yeah, yeah. you're you're a juggernaut no, in, in the Pac-12 and the Big 12. But, dude, listen, a 12-1 and SEC team, that resume is so much better than anything Washington or anybody would put up. At the end of the day, that's why I don't I don't necessarily think like a two loss team can't get in or should not be able to get into the playoff either, because in the last three or four years, the resume hasn't been taken into account. And I just I just think that's trash because that's why the playoff got started. Right. Because of the resume. That's why the the committee, everybody was talking about what the committee was going to do. I said the committee is going to do almost exactly what the AP poll says. Because if they don't, they get bashed for it. And J-Law, you're 100% right on that. Because do y'all follow Joel Klatt on TikTok or listen to his show? In his top 10 this week, he has Florida State at number eight in the country. Undefeated Florida State. And he said they're too inconsistent. I don't, I'll, I'll watch them. Dude, I'll watch they all will the games. They get their ass exposed. And they don't, they don't look like a top four team. And so even though they're undefeated, that doesn't mean that I have to put them in my top four. But the committee can't do that because they will get bashed for that, which sucks. But, J-Law, like you said, 
and, and and Lester, yeah, if Georgia loses, they would still be one of the top four teams, you know. If but that hasn't been the case. Really is, is, Louisville, is Louisville going to be the the first ranked team Florida State plays since the LSU game? Was I think they ranked? played Clemson when Clemson was ranked. Yeah, yeah. Clemson took them down. Oh my god, they're freaking five and five. Yeah, but there's your argument there, you know, because. Alabama, I think you know Tennessee. I think we after this week, four, they're not that they're not out of the top twenty-five. Wins. That's one of the things. Is do you count Tennessee as a ranked win for Alabama? Because when they played them, they were ranked, but they just got smoked by Missouri. They're gonna get smoked this weekend, and they'll be out of the top twenty-five at eight and four. Yeah, and listen, I understand that, but I just think you look at who, like, look at who Tennessee's lost to. They've lost to. They're gonna lose to four teams that are ranked higher than them. Clemson's played close games with Duke. I mean, dude, they've gotten just beat by teams that have no business beating them. So, I mean, yeah, you can look at it both ways. All right. Let's wrap this puppy up here. Dudley, anything else you want to add before we hop off here? We appreciate you coming on, man. It's been a blast. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. I did want to say uh, – I, I did want to add one thing to one of Lester's comments or way earlier in the podcast about – and I know you guys have are more inside knowledge than I do, and you follow it, you know, a lot harder than I do. But I, I disagree with Lester's statement about uh, Nick Saban bullying Tommy Reese around. I personally think it was kind of the other way around. I think Nick Saban's like laid off a lot, and just kind of. I mean, we saw this with Pete Golding for three years, or you know, or two years. I, I maybe it was three years. I think he kind of laid off, and then I think finally he was like, hey, you know, why don't we try that, or, you know, why don't we do this? I, I think Saban's gotten a lot softer in his, you know, later years and um, with the players included, but, I mean, I really think he was it, – it, it wasn't a thing if he was bullying him around. I think it was he was being way too patient on it and finally said, hey, dude, we just got to make a damn change. But – I'm not arguing with Lester on that. I mean, obviously, he may know something that I don't. That's just my personal opinion. Was I was like, man, when you, you know, when are you gonna step in there and kind of make a change? Yeah, and man, I just get on here and talk shit, bro. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, you know, I could, I could agree with that if Reese did not run the same stuff at Notre Dame. But you watch highlights from Tyler Buckner when he had him. And that dude was just running all over the place. It was RPO. It was quarterback run. He was running all over the place taking shots. And maybe it's a situation where Reese is just terrified of the backup. I don't know. Maybe he thought Reese could come in, and then after the the South Florida game, he was like, oh, crap. You know, they're both not very good. We need to develop them, so we can't risk getting Milrow hurt, so we're just going to put him in the pocket. Pray to God the offensive line holds up. Then they're like, "Oh crap! He can't read the defense. He can't have. He can't go through pre-snap checks. He can't set protections. He's not really a quarterback, especially not a pocket quarterback." So finally, they're like, "All right, we got to get him on the move." And then, bam! You know, now sparks are flying. Yeah. Um. And the last thing I was going to ask you guys was, just me personally, th- this is the first time in uh quite a few years that I have felt like the guys just have pride. Like, this is Bama football. Not, you know, hey, we're here to, you know, put on a show and go to the NFL. Like, I truly believe these guys are, like, Bama football guys. And, 
you know, for the next two or three years, hopefully we have a really good, you know, slate of, you know, sophomores, juniors and seniors, et cetera. Um, but it just feels like, you know, with Jalen and Terry on Arnold, Kool-Aid, uh, you know, all these guys that have been here, Dallas Turner been here for a little while. It just feels like we're finally playing with some pride. Yeah, I, I just think that la- we just let last year just kind of is highlighted a little bit too much for us because the 2021 team did. I mean, dude, they they're I don't I don't want to blame injuries because people listen and laugh, but you're a John Mechie and J Mo from winning a natty. I mean, just you can't 100%. win a natty without pride. But last year, last year was a rough year. Two awful coordinators. Um, DC gets a DUI. He's a joke. I just think things snowballed fast. I think that I just think last year was so hard to watch because there was no competitive fire that it kind of makes you think that it went on longer than it might have actually did. Yeah, and Dudley, I've I've always been a firm believer of your players take on the uh, the personality of your coordinator. And like J Laws talked about, you had a very last day at school defense coordinator. You had you had an offense coordinator who was. Only invested in number nine the last two years. Really didn't care about. Amen. Him. Amen. Yeah, really, he he just wanted to, to, you know, work with number nine and then get back to the NFL. He didn't care about developing Milrow or Ty Simpson. I think that hurt. Amen. And uh, and so this this year, what you just said, I think that's a result of you know Saban goes out and Reese really doesn't do a lot of media. <clears throat> um, he might seem chill in front of the media, but everybody's seen the video of him in the box dog cussing his quarterback over the phone. Um, I think this guy's pretty brash, and I think he's he can be kind of in your face. And then we all know Kevin Steele is that, you know, that old that old school, you know, country boy. And, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be brash. I'm going to be in your face, and I expect you to do it right. And I think that's the kind of the personality that everybody's taking on. Yeah. I think Tommy Reese is like, dude, imagine if you stepped in, you know, uh man, who can I come up with? Or just some, or just imagine if you were the OC for Alabama and you're coming in, or Nick Saban, you're what? He's thirty eight or something like that, or maybe 40? no, dude, no, he's my age, Dudley. He's thirty one. Okay, th- exactly. So he's thirty one, coming in under the goat, like the absolute goat of college football. I, I mean, going back to the original question, or adding just a little bit to it, is like. I also think, like, it just took him a little time to, like, get comfortable, like, being that guy under Nick Saban. Took a little time. Took a couple of adversity. Took a couple of close games. Took a loss to, you know, settle in and, like, this is what the fuck we're going to do. Well, let's just hope it – so, you know, I'm fine with it as long as he builds off of it because I don't think he's a guy that's going to get a head coaching job at 32 years old and, you know, there's not really a, a – better coordinator job in the country. So uh or that you would leave Alabama for. But let's just hope it gets better from here. And uh get by maybe the next Texas A and M head coach yeah. candidate. <laughs> but yeah, we'll see how that plays out. But um Dudley, we appreciate you coming on, man. Um I had a blast. Can't wait to have you back on on the on the show again. Um until next week, Roll Tide. This is episode 98, Gump Runners Podcast, Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law, special guests, Josh Dudley. We're out of here. <laughs>